everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. My name is Julian Guderlei, and this is Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, where you get to hear the stories and insights from entrepreneurs, social change makers, and artists, displaying how each and everyone's uniqueness makes this planet worth living on. For more, check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com. And today with us is Mark Angelo Coppola, social change maker, a person with a big impact on the planet, philanthropist. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, tell us tell us briefly about yourself, Mark. Like, how how would you describe yourself to the world? <sighs> um, you know, I, I think the number one thing that I I've noticed is that in the world around me, there were so many people that were uh, focusing on the problem. And, and kind of shedding light on, on the different challenges that our world is facing. And very few were kind of working at the actual solutions. And so I'd like to say that I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm a philanthropist, which means, you know, the, the combination between, you know, taking on the world's biggest challenges through the lens of philanthropy, but also understanding that the ROI of return on investment is just as important as the ROI of ripple of impact. And so kind of having an impact and going out there and having philanthropic causes is super important, but the number one way that we can actually take on the world's biggest challenges is by also adopting an entrepreneurial mindset and kind of focusing on the solutions, which is uh, kind of the skill set that I think entrepreneurs have. That's where businesses are made, is is building solutions, building uh, and creating value for people in a way that in, aids their life. And so uh, those are the things that I really feel uh, call me forward. Yeah, so that's that's starting it off powerful. I love that um, solution solution minded. I, I I totally I totally dig that and, and know that that's something you truly stand for as well. Um, let's kick it off with this, Mark. How do you get in the zone and how do you enter flow state? Uh, um, for me, the zone is this elusive, very difficult place to get to in certain moments. And I think, you know, there's no doubt about the fact that I, I feel that my environment plays a massive role in me being in the right mindset. So if I wake up and I'm in a space where there's a bunch of people running around and everyone's asking me questions and people are coming in and out and there's always somebody offering me coffee or, uh, you know, wanting to go out to lunch with me or whatever it is, those are environments that, yes, are great, and I thrive in in some ways, but my zone is found in the morning. My zone is found through a a little bit of a morning routine um, and also a, a trick that I use which I call power hour. And so I literally have an hourglass. Uh, I have no idea how long it actually lasts. I've never cared to time it. But I actually turn around this hourglass, and for the entire time that this hourglass is going, um, I focus on all my energy going into one task and use that as a tool uh, to move forward. Got it. Wow, that's um, a lot of focus. I, I like that. Tell us a little bit more about your mornings. So you said your flow happens mainly in the morning? Yeah, so, you know, I like to wake up um, like everyone does, of course. <laughs> and, uh, no, I, I, I enjoy waking up. I enjoy kind of spending the first few moments of my day 
not diving directly into work. And this is, if I'm honest, it's actually a challenge. Um, you know, I, there's, there's so many times that I want to wake up, look at my phone, look at the time, and I've, it's, got, it's almost like I'm, I'm in this race against myself and my own ambition. And so I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's, it's 7.30 or it's 8 or whatever time it is, and I feel like I have to get to work as, as soon as I possibly can. And I say work because... For me, it's, it's getting to passion, right? What I do, I love. I, I spend every waking moment of my day working on things that I that I absolutely am passionate about. And so it, it becomes this thing that envelops me. But on an ideal day, I would kind of, you know, do a little bit of gratitude exercises. I would wake up in the morning. I would journal a little bit. I would do a little bit of stretching, maybe possibly a workout. And I would kind of start to activate my body, activate my mind to kind of figure out what is my highest priority. What is it, the number one thing that I want to work on this morning before I get to anything else? And for the most part, because I understand that I'm human and I wake up on a rainy day and I feel just as terrible as anybody else does in, in certain moments, um, what I also recognize is that I plan to plan. You know, there's a difference between scheduling and planning. And so every single Sunday or Monday morning, if I'm not feeling up to it on a Sunday, um, I literally schedule the most important thing that I have from a, from a more kind of global view. And so taking this kind of macro view of what I'm doing and what I'm creating and the impact that I'm having allows me to kind of better navigate the day-to-day -day routine of what that might look like um, in my waking reality and my waking life. So on a day-to-day -day basis. So instead of trying to figure out what that looks like in any one day or any one moment, I kind of look over that within that week span. And then I also look at the, at the month and, and the year uh, within that same exercise. So as much as I kind of look at the year, I look at the month, and then I get down to the week and I say, okay, what is my priorities this week? What are the things I absolutely need to do? And try to kind of check off those boxes and make them happen. Um, and that is crucial for, for my, my happiness. And it's crucial for my efficiency. It's crucial for, uh, you know, the number of projects and the number of things that I'm participating in. Um, you know, it gets, it gets overwhelming and it gets cloudy otherwise. So my morning zone is, is really the best. And, and kind of as the day progresses, as I check my emails, as Facebook messenger, you know, messages roll in and, and the world starts asking me for a billion and one different things. I feel like I get kind of pulled in a million one directions um, only to kind of restart the cycle again the next morning. So, you know, as the day progresses, I feel like it gets a little bit more hectic. But um, but yeah, so that's why I, I, the mornings are sacred for me. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Um, so here's something really powerful in what you shared there in in having your own space in the mornings and kind of tuning in again on, on that single focus as well. Um, and what I heard was you saying work and work equals passion. So tell us a little bit more about like what are you working towards? What is it that you're um, creating into this world? The thing that I'm working towards is building the school I wish I could have gone to both physically and digitally. You know, I mentioned, you know, that we live in a, a problems-based society where, you know, there are 80 articles talking about the problem of climate change for every one article that talks about the solution. Um, you know, there's documentaries. I've watched hundreds and hundreds of documentaries at this point. Uh, literally, I watch a documentary a week, um, every single week for now for the better part of seven years. And so building a physical off-grid school, a physical space where people can gather 
where ideas can flourish and, and kind of, you know, kids and adults can come and learn and, and kind of not let schooling get in the way of their education, well, then that's one of the biggest kind of components or one of the biggest drives that I have um, on a physical plane. And then on the digital side of things, you know, I understand that not everyone in the world or not everyone in China or in India or in Australia can make their way out to Montreal, where I'm from, uh, and visit this physical school. So the question is, how do I bring the school to them? And one of those ways is that I would make multiple physical schools. Uh, but the other way is that I would build a digital online space. So my goal is to kind of empower people who are truly dedicated to this this kind of life of impact, who are truly dedicated to to being better than the person they were the day before, that are truly willing to take the adventure and willing to step into the risks that come with that and kind of amplify their superpowers and take on the world's biggest challenges, just like a superhero would. So I guess that's why I call my online school Superhero Academy. That's It really is you know, my answer to the question of what do I want to do when I grow up? It, it really was what I would say when I was five years old. And, and I don't think, you know, I, I think the years that I, that I strayed away from that were the lost years were the years where people's limitations, including my own parents, um, were being put on me and that they were kind of limiting what was possible. When in reality, I, I truly live, we can, I truly believe we can live the impossible. I love it. I totally love it, Mark. Um, so Superhero Academy, that's that's one of the offers you're sharing with the world. What I want to ask you is, what kind of superhero are you? I guess my, my superpowers lie on my ability to... I'm kind of like, if I was in the superhero world, I think I'd be Professor X. I love Batman, and Batman is my favorite superhero. I would say James Bond is also up there for me. Um, and the reason for that is because they're regular people taking on massive challenges. They don't actually have any real superpowers, quote-unquote, but they believe they do. They believe that it is their duty to step up and, and, and play a role uh, within a larger picture. And so I, I definitely am spoken to in that way. But I think the number one thing that I'm able to create is, is understanding the powers of others and being able to link those powers um, to the people who need them. So for years now, I've run a marketing agency, and uh, I knew nothing about marketing. I knew nothing about web design. I knew nothing about uh, graphic design. I knew nothing about videography. And slowly but surely, I started to learn the lingo, the actual methodology. Then what I started to do is kind of create pathways where people would know me for this or would turn to me for the same kind of um, inspiration or for, for these kind of outputs. And then I would turn around and hire my best friends. I would hire people who I knew had kind of mastered this game. I knew were going deeper, deeper into this space and I would build teams. You know, I, I think that the number one thing I'm able to create is community. And so if I'm able to create community through story, and my, my number one power to assembling these superheroes and kind of getting to know these people's powers is through my own story and through the stories that I'm able to tell because I feel that there's this overarching feeling that many of us have. There's there's a zeitgeist going on, and, and I'm able to kind of see that, speak to that, tap into that, and use stories to kind of bridge the gaps between people uh, that might not have you know, connected before. And so that's where, you know, I see the, the opportunity of those who invest in the ROI of return on investment and see themselves as entrepreneurs meeting the people who are like, 
activists and world changers, people who want to take on the world's biggest challenges but have no idea how to do that from a financial perspective. And so bridging that gap and building kind of this this superhero school where all of these different talents have a space and a better world be created. So bringing people together under that banner is important. And so what I like to say is that I promote freedom culture, the ability to empower and encourage all individuals to spread their unique gifts to the world. Because I don't think that there's any one superpower, any one skill set that is any more important than the other. The CEO of a company doesn't exist without the person manning the front desk. You know what I mean? Like you need everyone to play a part for something great to happen. And movements are created not by MLK or Rosa Parks or, or, or anybody, any one person. They're created by a movement of people who are kind of getting behind that. And, and really it's, you know, there's TED Talks that explain how the number one important person in a movement is actually the first follower. It's not even the, the, the person who's leading it, right? Obviously, leaders are important. Obviously, we want to kind of all be a leader in, in our own way, and we all want to kind of feel like we, we aren't following everyone else in some way, shape, or form. We all believe that we are the black sheep in some way, shape, or form. But the, the component of kind of herding a bunch of individualized black sheep into a, a cause is uh, no easy feat. And I think that's done through story, and I think that's done through recognizing the powers of others and allowing them to play together and, and connect. Community through story. I, I, I love it, Mark. Um, and there's something that it, it, it resonates very deliberate in the way you say that. And my next question um, really wants to explore this. So did you plan on what you're experiencing right now? Or how did you get to where you are now? I can't say that I planned everything, although I'd like to, I'd like to think that I did. <laughs> um, no, I mean, obviously, as much as you plan, you have to recognize that the plan goes out the window in certain scenarios, right? Like, just like it happens on the microcosm, like sometimes I plan what I'm going to do on a Tuesday, but something different happens on a Tuesday. Like there's a bunch of different factors that play into that. So the component of, of making a plan is important only from the perspective of knowing the direction in which you're going. So for example, if I wanted to sail between Vancouver or Canada all the way to Australia, Sydney, Australia, the reality is there's a million and one different ways that I can get there, right? There's, there's no one path in which I can take to get there. Now, the plan is is setting out and saying, okay, we're going to follow this. We're going to use this boat with this sail in this way. This is our backup motor. This is this. This is that, and so on. And we're going to look at the weather. We're going to look at all these things. But the winds and the weathers and the seas have a way of changing those things. So what I plan is is my tools. What I plan is that I don't leave the shore without a compass. That I don't leave the shore without a boat. That I don't leave the shore without the different components that I need to get there. And I adjust from a, I, I kind of adopt a stoic philosophy, which is I control what I can control, right? I, I don't focus on what I don't control, which is the weather and the patterns and the seas and, and other people and the world around me. But what I control is me and my response to it, my reaction, my attitude within all of those different components. So five uh, years ago, I wrote a plan. I literally hashed out a plan of where I wanted to be in five years' time. And I've pretty much achieved every component of the plan to some degree. One portion of it is building the physical school. I didn't physically build every component of it, but I definitely designed it, and I definitely created the community, and, and the school is living in the physical, but it doesn't have a building just yet. So I you know, didn't reach every goal on the plan, but I'm actually further along down the path of 
of building the online school, which I believe would only come after the physical school happened. And so, you know, and I'm way further down the path. I would say I'm, I'm two and a half years ahead of that curve. So, you know, the plan changes, but my direction doesn't. The the values, the the feeling that I have, the, the mission of freedom culture, the mission of building a school I wish I could have gone to, all of those things are planned. And, and how I carry that out on a day-to-day basis is based on the, the environment and the world around me and just reacting to that. Um, and instead of just reacting to the world, actually acting within that. And that's where true wisdom is laid. It, you know, It's not enough to know something. It, you have to take that knowledge and put it into action, and that's where it becomes real wisdom. And so I, I think that I, I look and I strive to be wise in that way, and I recognize that there are many people who have walked this path before me, and that I should learn from those people uh, via mentorship, via coaching, via um, being humble enough to recognize that there are blind spots uh, that we all have, including the people listening to this right now. Including the two people having this interview, of course. I, yeah. I, I love where you're going with this. I, I, heard, I heard something in there. Um, wisdom equals knowledge put into action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. I feel um, as much as you're talking about the solution and people that are pointing out the problem, once we put knowledge into action, um, our plans might fail, but we will certainly act from a, a wise place. Let's switch it up a little bit, Mark. Would you invest a billion dollars into space exploration or cleaning up planet Earth? <laughs> uh, my first answer that came to mind was both. Um, <laughs> yeah. of I, I would a take a billion dollars, dollars, get a loan for a billion dollars, and do both. Um, that's a great. That's a great question. Um, here's what I would say. I would invest it in Earth. Here's why. If we can find a way to correct the problems that are here on Earth. If we can find a way to deal with climate change, if we can find a way to do all those things here, then that allows us to, let's say, go to Mars. Being a multi-planetary species and, and trying to curb whether or not we can survive all the, 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 you know, the different problems, the challenges that humanity faces, both self-imposed and external, right? Like a, a, a giant asteroid coming our way, let's say. I really believe that the, the difficulty of what it would take to go to Mars at this very moment um, is is far outweighing the difficulty it would take for us to solve the world's biggest challenges. You know, in a few days worth of military spending worldwide, if you took all the military spending that people were spending worldwide, um, I think it was like four days or something, or $30 billion essentially, would literally solve world hunger for an entire year. $30 billion would literally solve the world's water problems and access to water for the entire wow. planet. That's and that's powerful. not a lot of money. It sounds like a lot of money to you and me, but to to if you think about how much the US government spends or how much the world spends just on military, it's only the equivalent of four days worth of military budget. So four days, you remove four days worth of like military spending and you solve the world's biggest challenges. I think the world acts quite differently if everyone has food on their table and water and, and has access to shelter. I think I think we'd stop polluting the world in the same way we do now. The reason we are all running to grab more is because we created this com- this competitive mindset where capitalism is about competition. And don't get me wrong, I don't think that capitalism is the problem. I believe that fractional reserve banking is the problem, for example. And I won't go too far into that, but what I'll say is that there's more debt than there is money. And that's mathematical fallacy. But that mathematical fallacy creates a game of musical chairs where somebody has to lose. Somebody is left with holding the debt in their hands and saying, there's no money for me. And so that 
mathematical human created problem created a game of scarcity and that game of scarcity created competition so i truly believe that the only thing we need to do to change the entire world is to change the fractional reserve banking mindset we have to change the game from a, a game of scarcity and a zero-sum game to a game of abundance and and kind of perpetual growth in in a different way in a different way that isn't just about interest and and growing money so that companies can grow for the for no purpose that they can grow in other ways that we can measure different metrics metrics of success that aren't just roi return on investment right in dollars and cents but that are measured in other things like the ripple of impact right the fact that you know we talk about carbon taxes and ideas of what it would take to curb um climate and we talk about making a cost to climate and the only reason we do that is we have to create a cost to carbon or cost of you know environmental pollution is because the only metric that at the end of the day can kind of allow anybody of us to thrive is that metric so unless we change that metric to to now include these other things and we change the fundamental mathematical principles so i don't think that that um is impossible whatsoever and i really believe that if i took a million or billion dollars instead instead of trying to put it in any one technology any one idea i would start a billion dollar story and i would tell the billion dollar story of how fractional reserve banking is ruining our 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 world and i don't think it would take me a billion dollars to make it reach every single person in the on the planet i believe that we can make that shift quite easily the only reason we haven't is because for the most part the rich people quote unquote don't want that to change in a way, right? The people who are controlling the banks, the people who are at the top in that structure have made it and won this portion of the game or this version of the game, so they don't really want that to change. And I really believe that we need a conscious thought revolution. We need people to actually step up and demand that change, create that change, have that revolution. And, and I don't think, it, and that's why I say story, because the story would create that revolution in the exact same way that we fought for you know, equal rights for, for people of color, I, I really believe, or equal rights for, for gay marriage and things like that. One of the fights coming up in the future will be equal rights to income, and we're going to have fights for basic income and ideas like that. We're going to have fights for 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 a different system than fractional reserve banking, um, and that will become something that is known. and And unfortunately, schools don't teach you that, right? I, I went right. to school of business, and there was not a single class on how or where money comes from. Everyone is studying business, everyone's studying accounting and finance, and yet if you go up to a finance student today in any university, their average university student, and ask them where money comes from and who creates it and how it's made and, and what mathematical principles it's based on, they wouldn't know. Yeah. So who the hell plays a game of Monopoly without understanding the rules of Monopoly? Right? Like who who starts playing any board game without first reading the rules and you don't have to read them in depth but you have to understand the basics you know what i mean like you know you have to start getting to know what is going on around you so um as i realized that that changed my life and that's what made me angry that's what made me start watching these documentaries one after the other for for, for years and the last seven years and that's what made me go out in the middle of a gmo corn and soya field plant a tree and declare that i was going to build a school i wish i could have gone to that's what made me start a movement that's what made me start Valhalla. And that was single-handedly the smartest thing I ever did. But the second smartest thing I ever did was that I told the story. I pulled out my phone and I took a picture. And so in planting that tree, I made a stance and I made a symbol in it. And it was so, it was so out there. I was so willing to be on the fringe of something that it, it actually created an amazing storyline. And then 
all the stuff that I've created so far in my life was only possible because I made that storyline and other people joined it. Right? Everything that is Valhalla is, has nothing to do with me. The only component I have, the only role that I've played is being able to be that Professor X, that connector, the understanding of the different people and their powers and their superpowers, and the storyteller. I was the person who was able to communicate the story to, to kind of take what we were feeling in the zeitgeist and, and verbalize it into words. And so all the words that have said in this in this recording, these are things that I've said many, many times before. The idea of you know, knowledge meet, where, where knowledge meets action is becomes wisdom, you know, that's something I've thought about. And so these storylines are what I would invest in if I had a billion dollars. I would invest in a giant media story and, and across multi-platform, multi, you know, multi-stakeholder. I would get a bunch of influencers. I would build massive campaigns in a way there's that would... A, that there's would, a billion-dollar plan already. I, I, I love that you went from a billion-dollar question to a billion-dollar story. And then, <laughs> then instantly, like, oh, let's put it into action. What is, yeah. what is really interesting to hear there, Mark, is that you speak about community through story when you talk about how community forms and how to connect with people and influence people. But at the same time, again, it came back right now to community through story in making massive changes and shifts and yep. get it, getting people access to story, right? Getting people access to information. Uh, yep. Very powerful what you're sharing. I want to know a little bit more about you and understand how did you grow up and how did that influence where you are today? Absolutely. So... I'm just going to preface before I say how I grew up. That billion-dollar plan, by the way, I'm not waiting for it to happen. I'm already doing it. See, I really believe that the number one way to be a billionaire and, to, and enact a, and a billion-dollar plan is to, number one, try and solve a billion-person problem. And, you know, I, I, steal, I steal that wisdom from, uh, from Peter Diamandis in his book, Bold. But the, but the truth is that if you want to be a billionaire right now, if you're listening to this, you want to impact billions of people's lives, you want to be a billionaire, you want to literally change the face of the planet, start taking a billion-person problem and tackling it right now. That being said, how did I grow up? Um, I grew up in suburbia. Um, you know, it's a suburban Montreal, 10 minutes away from where I planted that tree. Uh, and I'm still living here today. Uh, what's crazy is that my parents actually moved out of my childhood home. And now I live in my childhood home uh, alone. Uh, <laughs> wow. You know, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's a weird story. Um, but it really is true. And, and so I'm turning this this home now into a lab. And, and, you know, I'm turning it into a space where I can record videos, where I can invite other people, where I'm where in, because I wasn't able to build the physical school yet, I now it's here. It's actually my house, um, and I and I grew up playing and having every single opportunity I could have ever possibly imagined. I grew up with access to the internet. I grew up with tons of toys. I grew up with literally every single thing I've ever wanted given to me in some way, shape, or form. And it's not because my parents were were super rich or, or super anything. I, I think it's because my parents, at the end of the day just wanted to enable every form of possibility for me. And there were some that they that they maybe were blind to themselves. Uh, I think the, the, the path of entrepreneurship or the path of um, anything is possible possibly eluded them in some way, shape, or form. But I was led to believe that I was smart, that I, that I was capable, that I just needed to apply myself if I wanted to achieve. And I remember this one defining moment where I realized that my direct effort led to direct happiness and results uh, for other people and therefore to me. 
because my happiness is measured in other people. And, and, and that's an unfortunate thing, and it's also a fortunate thing. It's, it's, it's difficult for me sometimes because it's hard to be happy on my own without making the people around me happy. But what more is life than you know experiencing it with other people, I guess? Um, but for me, there was this one moment where I was playing soccer or football, depending on where you're from in the world. Um, but I was playing soccer, and I, I, I want to say I was like four years old, four or five years old. And my grandparents came out to my soccer game. This is the first time they were ever watching me play a soccer game. And the whole time before that, I sucked. Like, I didn't care. I was going on the field, and I, I just wasn't doing anything. And I, I remember, like, not being – like, applying myself and my, my parents being a little bit disappointed or just, like, just not seeing my effort and not seeing my interest. So they were considering pulling me out, but they really wanted me to play because I'm, I'm of Italian heritage. So I did. And in that moment, I scored two goals in a game. And I literally, like, I was never past the ball. I couldn't do anything. And here I was, and I remember this goal. And I remember looking over to the bleachers and seeing my grandparents and their excitement, like, particularly my grandfather, one of my grandfather's excitement. He was just so proud. He was so happy that I had applied myself, that I had put in this this effort. And I think in that moment as I grew up, you know, the, one of the most profound things I've ever been told by my parents is that attitude is everything. You know, if I if I approach anything with the right attitude, then I can move through it. You know, I could choose to be pissed off about everything. I could choose to point a finger at the world, at the banks, at the, the people who made fractional reserve banking, at the people who polluted our planet, at the people who are poisoning our, our, our rivers and streams and oceans, at the people who are causing this havoc at all times. And what I recognize is that that's a poor attitude. What I recognize is that every single time I'm pointing a finger at somebody else, there are three pointing back at me. And so I approach life and I was raised to have a good attitude no matter the situation and to face that attitude over time. And, and I think I faced it through various challenges. I had epilepsy when I was younger. Um, I have all kinds of challenges I face today as an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur now for a decade. So my, my ability to tackle these problems um, comes from my belief that I can and my attitude that I can and that, you know, I recognize that any, like, that Gandhi was just a person. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, he's just, an, Barack Obama was just a regular dude. Oprah Winfrey grew up with tons of challenges, too. So I can let those challenges define me. I can let them be excuses. I can let them be part of my storyline at every single moment. Or I can choose to tell a better story, to tell the story of the one that I actually want to feel, and that by telling it, I become and actually experience and do feel. And so, um, yeah, I just, I just, I believe that attitude is the the crux of everything for me, and and it and it allows me to live the amazing life that I have now, and, and I have such gratitude. Uh, for it. And that's not to say that it's perfect. It's not to say that it's better than yours. It's just great for me. You know what I mean? It's just great for who I am and what I love. You know, other people see me and they're like, oh, you're living in your childhood home and you're tw almost 29 years old. Like, what are you doing? You're a failure. And I'm like, no, I'm like saving money and I'm putting all of this stuff into all this other stuff. Plus, I, now I live here on my own. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, now I found a that's, way to. That's a pretty cool story uh, from where I'm standing. Uh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, um, attitude of gratitude. There, there's, there's so much power in what you say, Mark. That's, um, that's why I'd love to get a little bit more out of you and, and see how you resonate with those buzzwords I'm throwing at you. 
and those yeah. are buzzwords in our current society. Um, <laughs> mind, body, and spirit. And how do you take care of it? How, what is it for you? How is your mind, body, spirit balance that, that people start talking about since, since a couple of years? Uh, they're, they're vitally important. Um, if I don't invest in my spirit, then my mindset goes off. If I don't invest in my mindset, then my body starts uh, hurting. If I don't invest in my body, my mind hurts. They're all super connected. I, I, I'm personally a pro psychedelics. Um, I, I, I believe that we have to expand our minds. I believe that it allows us to see you know, pathways and literally create neuropathways that couldn't have, have existed before, didn't exist before. It creates connections between different parts of the brain that allow you to see the world in a different way. Um, you know, they're, they're buzzwords for sure, um, but they're important. They are actually important. There's a reason they're buzzwords. There's a reason why stereotypes become stereotypes is, is because there's something that played out in the world around us that we uh, that many people notice. And whether we found it funny or, or whether it's a, a kind of a more of a racist thing or more of this or that, I, I obviously I don't condone any of those, the negative side of that. But I do see the the beauty and the and the power of um, being in the right mindset, investing in the right body, investing you know in myself, uh, and recognizing that you know we are what we we are what we consume, we are what we watch, we are what we do. Um, that's important. Yeah. Well, if you had an apprentice in your field, Mark, what would you tell them? And try to distill it into three lessons. What would you pass on? Amazing. Uh, I, I actually spoke about this this morning, um, and I do I do have multiple apprentices uh, that work with me. I also am an apprentice to multiple people as well. So I, I will preface that I'm, as much as I'm a teacher, I'm also a student. Um, the first lesson I would say is attitude is everything. I, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I but I think that many of the people who want to achieve something, uh, get caught up in having it now. They get caught up in the attitude and try and kind of create and replicate something that they see in other people. Um, and they're trying to be somebody that they aren't in some ways, or they're trying to become somebody that they want to be. Um, and so the attitude I took is that there's Mark, which is the kind of the name that most people call me. Um, and then there's Mark Angelo, which is kind of my actual full name, but it's my, but it's kind of my stage name. It's the, it's, it's, an, it's the person I aspire to become. Right. And so not every day am I perfect. Not every day am I living a sustainable lifestyle. Not every day am I waking up and changing the world. But every day I try to be that person. Every day I work, wake up and I have that attitude that I can be and I will be and that I just need to continue to refine and work at those things. So attitude is everything. Lesson number one. Lesson number two is I'm inventing it as much as you are. You know, so many people ask for advice from other people and it's because they feel like they found a secret. And there's no secret to success. There's no fast shortcut to the top of your mountain. What I mean by that is the, what you want to achieve individually, whatever your, your listener who's out there wanting to make happen, you can make happen if you recognize that the putting in hard work and that inventing that path actively is exactly how everybody has done it before. Now, is there to say that there are lessons to be learned from those who have walked the path before you? Yes, there are tons of things you should learn from other people. Um, and, and you really need to kind of find those people um, and, and, and use that as a way to kind of just attract the opportunities and see the obstacles as they come so that you can navigate around them before you they smack you like a brick wall. So the 
the idea of I'm inventing it as much as you is the only difference between the apprentice and the teacher is that the teacher has spent more time asking the same questions that the apprentice does, right? That's the only difference. And then the second thing that I would, uh, the third thing, sorry, that I would say is that if you want to be successful in anything in life, right? You have to have a great attitude. You have to kind of invent it as much as, as, as you know, uh, find mentors and invent it as much as they are, met, they are, right? Finding mentorship is important. And then the third lesson is create win-win scenarios. Use your story to connect with people. Use your story and listen to their story to truly understand and genuinely connect with people. And if you want something from them and they want something from you and you can create a win-win scenario, that's the only thing that will ever move the needle. If you create wins for people, then they are going to create them for you. That lead with your gift. Lead with what you can offer, not what you want. Don't try and take because you're going to take. You're going to pay full price for everything. You're going to. You're going to. You're going to find that it's a zero sum game. You'll never be rich. But if you give, if you focus on giving more than you ever take, that you will start receiving more than you ever possibly could have taken in the first place you will literally start down this path that is perpetually growing it's like the true form of abundance is not wanting anything it's like it's like having zero expectation it's 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 going out there and saying i'm giving and i'm not giving because i only want to have a return i'm giving because i care to give because i i believe in this person and i listen to their story and they listen to mine and therefore i want to help them and so the relationship I even have with you, right, is is related to that. It's like related to this feeling where I just showed up and I came into your life and you came into mine and, and I wanted to give to the, the things that you're working on and you wanted to give to mine. And, and this is why we continue to maintain this relationship. It's like you're always trying to help me and I'm always trying to help you and I'm always giving my word that I will do something and I always meet that. I always do it. So creating the win-win scenario and then following through on it, right? Like don't just say it, do it, right? It's, it's not enough. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. We're meeting in the win-win, if not the triple win mentality even. You know, the win-win-win <laughs> is like I want, I want me to win. I want Mark Angelo to win. And I also want the planet to win. Exactly. Because the planet is the collective, is all of humanity, is all, all of what, what we currently call our home, right? So, um, exactly. Which leads me to a great question. Usually my last question in the uh, podcast, but I feel like it's just perfect timing uh, to ask you right now. I want to understand, Mark, what's your long, long-term vision? And let me specify this. If we as humanity had a 200-year vision for planet Earth, what would yours look like? Well, that's a great question. You always you always have great questions. Um, if I had to have a two hundred year vision, where we're going to be in two hundred years from now? My general thought is that we we would we would have very different systems when it comes to the systems of motivation and um, I say motivation, but like um, the word is eluding me, but but kind of we're driven by money right now. And I think the biggest shift that I would see is that we would be driven by other things, that we would be driven by a multitude of metrics that, that change that. And I, I have a vision that education becomes the number one thing that we invest in, that instead of investing the, the biggest, mil, you know, the biggest spending that we have is in military, instead of investing in, in hate, instead of investing in defense, that we proactively invest in the other side of the equation, which in my opinion is education. 
it's knowledge it's in, and, and it's knowledge applied so it's wisdom right if, if we can change the world you know i would love to see that we make the wise decisions and the wise decisions are long-term decisions in fact that's my definition of sustainability when i first got into sustainability i thought it meant planting trees and solar panels and earthships and and and, and all those things right but now i recognize that it's just a question of long-term thinking it's just a question of making a decision today that's going to impact me and the rest of the world in a positive way that is net positive in that way and so my vision would be that we would shift from those kind of intentions of trying to get everything for ourselves into a collective mindset state of mind right that we recognize that instead of competing that we can truly collaborate and I think a lot of us say that, and we're, we're intuitively learning that right now, but I think it's going to take a few generations of storytelling and technology and opportunity to make that shift. But I don't think it's that far away. You know, I, I like to think that, like, the iPhone only came out 10 years ago, and yet I cannot imagine the world without an iPhone. I really cannot imagine the world without the Internet, and that was not that long ago. You know, I can't imagine the world without cars, and that also wasn't that long ago. I mean, if you think of the, the history of the planet being 4.6 billion years old, give or take, right? And, and you think the history of the universe is 13 point whatever billion, and you think that there are more planets out there than we could possibly ever count. There are more stars out there than there are grains of sand on the, all the beaches of the world. I mean, that is insane to think fighting over this one territory or this one space or defending one country versus the other is silly that we can that we can remove labels right like instead of calling a black man a black man you call him a man and instead of calling you know, to, to strip away some of these stories and these divisions that we've had and recognize that humanity um is what we are right and that we and that we can be and we could be it together and that everyone could be accepted in that way and the only way that we ever go through that is that we teach that right there will always be division i always believe that there will be one tribe and another tribe there will always be people who believe that the world is round and there are people who are going to believe that the world is flat no matter how much science you show people there are always going to be a counterculture and that's beautiful right because counterculture in and of itself created opportunity because we once used to believe the world was flat and then when somebody created a counterculture that said well wait a second what if it's round and then all of a sudden we were able to prove that it was round and now people are trying to prove the opposite and i think the beauty of that is that people are questioning i would love to see a world in 200 years where we question some of the fundamental principles that we have that we are you know experiencing today and so yeah i see a decentralized world i see crowd sourcing as a number one staple we're seeing that with you know ubers and airbnbs but i think we're going to see that on steroids or on in hyperspeed in a way that doesn't even kind of we can't even comprehend in 200 years from now you know what I mean? absolutely and it's there consciousness isn't just you know my the body that i'm in and it isn't just this world and it isn't just this universe. I think it's it's something that we cannot explain and that we can recognize that in a sense, God, quote unquote, or the universe, better better termed, the universe is within us, right? That we are that stardust, that we came out of all of these crazy things and no matter where we're going, it's beautiful. That in a sense, we are already living the world that is perfect. And yes, there are challenges and there will be challenges in 200 years time from now too somehow we're still here somehow this is all perfect it's all working somehow most people get 
you know, to and from the destinations that they want to go to when they jump into a car. Somehow we've figured out to, to literally create explosions, mini explosions that we put into an engine and that that car even works in the first place. And so the ability for us to connect and talk when you're on one end of this country and I'm on the other end of this country is insane. So we live in that beautiful world. And and if you have a vision for 200 years from now, it's that, that, you know, that we can all continuously build the world that we know is possible in our hearts. Beautiful. I, I love hearing that. There's so much that, uh, that, 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 got, that got sparked in my head. And, and yeah, I, I can absolutely see um, see your vision, Mark Angelo, and I'm, I'm very happy you shared it with our audience today. Um, a very deep question, and I'm, I'm really wanting people to, to let it sink in. Hmm. A couple of um, short questions to you to kind of wrap up our, our short hour here. Um, what are you reading right now, and what was the last book before that? I'm reading about, so they're actually both, they're both Robert Greene books. One is 33 Strategies of War. That's the one I'm reading right now. And the one before that was 48 Laws of Power. Now, there's some other books that I've listened to in between, um, but none have captivated me quite as, as powerfully. I've been, I've been pouring into, let's say, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Um, you know, those are, those are books that I'm definitely enjoying. I mean, I, I looked into Ask Gary V, um, mainly just to support him. I already know what he has to say, to be honest. Um, but the, the components of the, the deeper understanding of how the world works and how people's intentions and how they manifest and how they use power and the power dynamics and how that, how that changes what they go after or what they see um, and, and, and the division that power creates is interesting to me. So I don't read those books because I want to wage war. I read those books because if I'm going to shift the narrative of the war that has been waged upon me and, and upon most of the world, uh, that I have to understand their tactics, that I have to understand the way that they think and, and the, the methodology that they have. Um, but more so than reading, I listen to a lot, a lot, a lot of documentaries. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of um, uh, YouTube videos. I, you know, I, a friend of mine, his name is Charlie Hooper. He runs a, a, a YouTube channel called Charisma on Command. Uh, I watch vlogs like Casey Neistat. I, I, I absorb an enormous amount and array of material. So I don't feel that any one book plagues me or, or, or hits me too much. But yeah, I mean, I'm definitely interested in... in um, I'm definitely interested in what drives people, what moves people, and their draw to power, because I see it within me, and I see how it can be a dangerous tool, but I also see how it can be a tool for building a movement that changes the world. And so uh, I'm, I'm teetering on those two, you know, I think uh, any superpower also has the opportunity of being super destructive. And so it's understanding both those sides of the coin uh, and recognizing that they both live within me uh, that I've used. Exciting. I um, yeah, I second that. It's it's important to widen your knowledge, right, and and understand all kinds of perspectives. Um, a couple of like very fast questions: ocean or lake water? Uh, ocean is definitely way more epic. I think. Cannabis or alcohol? Cannabis for sure, though, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, poutine or tacos? Oh, I'm from Quebec. I have to go with poutine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cultural pride. Universal basic income, yes or no? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Inevitable. Yeah, I think I heard that a couple times there in, in, in your um, sharing your wisdom. Um, beautiful. 
Well, Mark, is there anything else you want to share with our audience and you kind of want to um, send them on their way? I, my biggest thing I would say is, is think about one impossible thing that you would love to see happen in your life. One impossible thing that you can see out there in the world that only people on TV do or only other people who you admire do and recognize that they are just humans just like you. That you can go out there and achieve that impossible. And the only thing standing in your way between lighting that fire is your focus with your attention is to light the first fire and then w carry a torch from that first fire to the next one. So dream about the impossible. Figure out that one thing you want to do right now and just focus on it. Put everything into it. Like, Forget that whole quote of don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right now, you can put all your eggs in this one basket. You really need to do that if this is something that you're looking to step up and do. If you're not living the life that you want to be, if you're not feeling like you are in any way, shape, or form in the direction or the path that you want to be doing, if you're not sailing from Canada to Australia in a sense, right, and you're not on that path in any way, shape, or form, then you're just you're you need to radically shift what you're doing. Now, if you're on that path and you are sailing, then recognize that the one thing that you need to know is that you can control what you could control. Recognize that you don't, you can't control the winds. You, there's no point in being angry about them. You might as well just shift and change and change your strategy based on the world around you. Uh, and I think that's the most empowering thing that I've ever been told uh, and learned. And uh, yeah, it changed my life and, it, and hopefully it changes yours. Wow. Em empowering is how this conversation felt with you, uh, Marc Angelo. Thank you so much for being on the show.